Grace and peace, you're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a ministry devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians pray and think about race in ways that are biblical and helpful, clear and hopeful. You can learn more about our work at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com, where you can find articles, previous episodes, and more. Grace and peace. Welcome back to United We Pray. I'm Austin Suter, joined today by Carl Lafferton. How are you today? Doing well, and it's great to be with you. Thanks, Austin. Thanks so much for joining us. Carl is editorial director at the Good Book Company and a member at Grace Church Worcester Park in London. He is the best-selling author of The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross in God's Big Promises Bible Storybook. He also serves as the editor of God's Word for You series, and before joining the Good Book Company, he worked as a journalist and then as a teacher and pastored a congregation in Hull. Carl is married to Lizzie, and they have two children, and he studied history at Oxford. Did I did I miss anything there, Carl? Uh, well, um, I'm executive vice president at the Good Book Company, and in Britain, we, oh. Britain, we pronounce it Worcester. But apart from that, Austin. Okay. <laughs> apart from that, we got it. So many of our listeners will be aware of the Good Book Company. It's a resource we use oftentimes in our home. But can you describe what the Good Book Company is and perhaps what makes you a little bit different than other Christian publishers? Uh, Yeah, sure. So we are a uh, publisher um, aiming to be sort of, I guess, generously reformed would be our theological space or a confessional publishing house. Um, Started in the UK, as you can tell from my accent, that's where I'm based, um, about 30, just over 30 years ago. But we expanded into the US and then into Australia um, about 15 uh, years ago. And we're aiming to publish books that are uh, biblical, um, by which I mean we're trying to, uh, as as much as is appropriate uh, for that particular book, we're trying to get the Bible open and the Bible quoted um, so biblical and uh, relevant, so speaking to people's lives where they're really at, not how we would like life to be, but how life really is, and then accessible. So um, we we uh, are attempting to publish for that mythical creature called the ordinary Christian. Um, and we publish a whole range, kids, um, adults, just basically seeking to show people the goodness uh, and greatness and glory of the Lord Jesus and how they can live for him in in their day-to-day lives. Well, I think you're doing a, a fantastic job. Your books are in regular rotation in our home. I don't know that we're normal Christians, but we are making good <laughs> use of, of what you're doing. Thank you. So that's, what is, that's what is your role? What is your role, role and what do you do? At- uh, my role um, is to oversee the editorial team. Um, that's how I came up, so I joined as an editor. Um, so I, I oversee the acquisitions, develop, developmental editing, production editing uh, right the way through. And then I also oversee the design phase. Um, I am not a designer, um, but the, the guys in the design team are wonderful. And I sort of um, theoretically oversee their brilliant work. I, I wanted to talk to you about that because as obviously you're working on multiple projects, but I wanted to highlight a number of children's books. And these are books that we use all the time in our home. Our daughter loves them. And the theological content is fantastic. Um, but these books are popular in our home, at least in part because of the representation in their illustrations. Um, can you explain the thought that went into that? 
Uh, sure. I mean, uh, a lot of thought would be the short answer. We're pretty determined to represent Bible stories in their illustration in a way that is historically faithful, as well as telling the stories faithfully. We want to show them faithfully. Now, obviously, there's a degree, a high degree of, of imagination and creativity going in there. But, you know, these these stories are taking place in a, in a Middle Eastern context, and we want to uh, show them like that. If they're New Testament stories, they're happening uh, in a in a in, in a Greco Roman world where there's a high degree of um, relocation, moving around, and so there would have been people um, from North Africa in in Palestine, and so um, we we so so we want to show things as far as we're able to as they would have been. That includes, and we can come on to this later if you want to. That includes the way we depict the Lord Jesus, and then of course, oftentimes we're we're showing in, in our kids' books. We're showing kids today doing various things as they um, interact with a with a with a Bible story or live the Christian life or just in their homes and so on. And again, that's a great opportunity for us to enable kids to see themselves represented in our books. And that goes for uh, skin color, but it also goes for things like uh, disability and simple things like um, wearing glasses and those kind of things. And some of the nicest emails and letters I get are from parents saying, thank you, my child has to use crutches or my child uh, has a particular uh, type of hair that goes with a particular ethnicity and he or she saw themselves or saw somebody like them in one of your books and that has, you know, just made their day and and I'm just emailing and say thank you and that's um, that, that's great when we get emails like that. It's, it strikes me as a parent how much kids pick up on that, mm-hmm. right? Because as, you know, a white man growing up, it's never something I thought about because I always saw myself in, in media, whether that was books or Bible stories or anything else. And, you know, I'm, I'm white, my wife is black, um, and our, our daughter is mixed. And so she picks up on that. It's something she talks about a lot, not as, not as a value judgment, but as a as something she notices. And so she is thankful that when she gets a book like that, she, she sees all kinds of people. Great work. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, so a couple of interesting things. I remember when we brought out several years ago now, I brought out a book by Trillian Newbell for kids called God's Very Good Idea. And what was interesting was that my kids, you know, I'm married to a white woman and so my kids are white and, um, they, there's one sort of spread with lots and loads of different kids, different hair colors, different skin colors, and so on. And, and when I said to one of my kids, oh, which one looks most like you? She, she pointed to a black girl um, because the hair style and length was similar. And the clothes that she was wearing was similar to some of the clothes that my daughter had at the time. And I was just really interested that she genuinely saw more commonality there than she did difference, which I was, I mean, I didn't know what to make of it, but I was just really struck by that. But then at the same time, of course, we're, you know, uh, we're a white family living in a majority white culture. And of course, as you say, we are bound to, we, we see ourselves represented without even thinking about whether we're being represented. Uh, when we we just released a, a Bible storybook for two to six-year-olds called God's um, Big Promises Bible Storybook. And um, we had loads of cover iterations and I was showing them to various pastors and influencers and so on. Uh, and a pastor of a multi-ethnic church in Southeast London who I showed different covers to pointed at one the one we went for in the end 
and said, my people will like that one because they'll see themselves on the cover because we had Jesus speaking to a group and the group had various, um, you know, two genders, lots of different skin colors and so on. And he said, you should go for that one because th- that will instantly say to them, um, you're going to be represented in this book. So it's, it's one of those things where, where you're right. It, it, it's something that I wouldn't have thought about myself 10, 15 years ago, but that was my blindness. Um, now it's something we look for and take great care over in every single book that we publish. Well, I commend you for even just recognizing that it, it wasn't intuitive to you and putting mm. the right people around you to point that out. So once you decided that kind of diversity in representation was important, how did you go about making that happen with illustrations? Did you make new hires? Did you try to recruit more people? How did that go? So um, I had a design, Andre Parker, overseas um, all of the illustrator hunting, if I can put it like that, um, and then most of the art direction. And so, you know, when, when you're looking for an illustrator for a project, there are various um, things you're looking for. Just does their, does their style, does their feel uh, fit with the, the, the approach of the author? But one of, uh, to be frank, are they available <laughs> for work? Um, sure, but, one of the, sure. but one of the things that, that we're also looking for is how do they do people? And you can pre- qu- pretty quickly pick up from a from an illustrator whether they're just building diversity into their work as a matter of course, uh, uh, you know whether they are able to do different expressions on faces and all those kind of things. But diversity is an important one because then we know that we're sort of going with the grain of how they work when we say to them, "Okay, let's let's think about how we make these characters look," as it were. So, so yeah, so I guess, I guess it starts with that author, uh, illustrator selection process. And then, and then it's just a case of the iterative feedback, including keeping, keeping tabs on how, how are we doing with representation? And actually that's harder when you're dealing with a lot. So like a kid's story, but Bible, we realized it'd be very easy to miss it because we were getting the stories through individually. And so yeah. Um, we, we could we could easily end up getting through the entire Old Testament without really sort of noticing it. So we, having realised that, we we sat down with the illustrator fairly early on and said, okay, where is it legitimate biblically to think that somebody might not have simply looked sort of Middle Eastern, so you might say dark olive skinned? And so we ended up saying, well, obviously you got you got the Queen of Sheba, um, but also Ruth. You know, she's a Moabitess. Uh, we don't know for sure what colour she would have been, but therefore let's let's make her have a darker skin tone, and not just a darker skin tone, but we we gave her hair that would look more African and, and so on, um, because not well I don't need to tell you it's not it's not a case of just colouring in somebody with a different skin tone. There are different features and so on as well that go with that. So we we just tried to make sure that we had introduced that at the beginning, and then. Once we got all the illustrations for that one, for Cosmic Promises Bible Story, but done, we, we actually hung them all across a room. So there were about 400 images. Oh, and we cool. just hung them on the walls, took ages. But that allowed us to sort of step back and say, are we, are we missing anything here? And there were various ways in which we were uh, missing uh, things. But, but one of them wasn't um, being, being representative within historical accuracy. So, so that was kind of cool to see that, okay, we built that in at the beginning and, and it's coming out okay at the end. 
Well, clearly a lot of thought, I mean, the thought and execution are all there because the end product is something that, that represents people well and doesn't feel forced. Um, because you can tell that too. You can tell when it's just, you know, manufactured diversity for mm -hmm. its own sake. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think you've avoided multiple errors on this. Okay. Well, that's, uh, you, you guys are much more the experts than I am. So <laughs> that's a relief Hardly. to hear. Hardly. Um, I wanted to ask you about the God's Word for You series that Good Book Company put out. You oversaw this project, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. can, can you sort of explain an overview of what the project was? Okay, so so it started by us having some conversations with Tim Keller's, well, uh, with Kathy, his wife, and, and some others at Redeemer, because he he has some teaching material, which was um, it being Tim, it was it was phenomenal, and it was at sort of what you might say lower level devotional commentary level, and nothing much was happening with the material, and so um, we we spoke with them and worked with them, uh, and I worked with Kathy and. Uh, and those became the first few God's Word for You titles. So Galatians, there's two volumes in Romans and, and Judges. And uh, from there, we thought, actually, there's not, there's not a great deal at the sort of both expositional and devotional commentary level. And so let's, let's keep going. So, um, so I ended up, speaking to some some more uh, men and women about contributing uh, titles to the series and it kind of went from there and then as they started coming out lots of people were saying we really like these they're really helpful preachers finding them helpful for seeing okay how would an experienced expositor um, preach this how would he apply it and so on uh, but also from again the, the, the normal Christian um, just saying I, I love using this in my morning devotions. It's just the right level for me. And so then it flipped to people approaching us and saying, hey, can I write for the series? And uh, so that made acquisitions a little easier. And so, yeah, so we went from there and um, we've nearly finished up the New Testament now. So that will finish out in a couple of years. And then we'll just keep sort of nibbling away at the Old Testament, as it were, and, until we get there. It's a fantastic series. I, I don't have all of them. I have a number of them. Um, and you can you can see my bookshelf behind me. I I have I don't know seventy five commentaries back there, and most of them are written by white men, and they're they're very okay. good. Um, there's you know lots of good resources over the years, but you know historically that was that was the primary voice uh, that was who got to be published. And in looking at your series, um, you've got women who wrote. You've got a, a diverse you know group of uh, ethnicities represented in the authors. I mean, I'm assuming that didn't just happen. I'm assuming some level of intentionality there. Is that right? Yeah. So I think once we knew that it was going to be a series beyond um, uh, uh, titles that Tim Keller wanted to write, we we said, okay, what we'd love to do is make this international. So you have, I say it's actually, you've got, you got um, Antipodean, so, so Aussies, um, you've got Americans, you've got British guys um, writing into it. We want to make it we want to try and get people from lots of different denominations and, and churchmanships writing within, you know, being reformed evangelicals. Uh, we want to get um, people uh, who, yeah, so we want to get uh, black people, Hispanic people, as well as your, you know, your white Anglo-Saxon looking people. And yeah, and to get, uh, if we can, some some women. Um, 
Now, we, we wanted to make sure that having said we wanted to do that, that we were only bringing people in in those categories if they were, um, if you like, recognized by the wider church as people who are fantastic expository preachers and teachers. So um, Kathleen Nielsen, um, who definitely fits that category, uh, has written on Proverbs uh, for us, and um, Eric Mason's written a, a volume on Nehemiah, uh, John Omwichek was working on one as well. So these are these are not people who are there just because they kind of check a box for us. And that's always the danger with these things, isn't it? Is you end up saying, we've got to find somebody who fits this particular category, and you just go out and find somebody. And, and I was keen that we didn't fall into that almost tokenistic trap, but that we said we we would love to find somebody in this category, but only if they are somebody who we would have chosen anyway, even if they'd not fitted that category. Well, there's there's kind of two errors, right? There's the tokenism that you mentioned on one side of, you know, trying mm-hmm. to trying to manufacture diversity and getting people who may or may not be qualified. But then there's also just the rut of sticking with the people you know and assuming that because I know them, they must be the the best and the authoritative voices on the topic. And as it turns out, you don't have to sacrifice quality. Uh, and you actually can enhance the quality as you reach out and expand your circles and find more people who are qualified. I think you've done exactly that. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I'm I'm sounding like we're getting it right all the time. We're, we're certainly not. Um, and I'm aware that inevitably, you know, you, you, you see things from your own perspective. And you're right, you, you tend to listen to particular voices and um, and then listen to the people they recommend. Um, and so you can easily get into a sort of a small almost echo chamber. Um, and so one thing I'm trying to do when I'm talking to pastors or, or at conferences or whatever is just saying, who are you Who are you enjoying? Who are you listening to? Um, uh, you know, TGC are great, I think, at platforming different people with different voices from different backgrounds and so on. So that's always helpful just for getting me out of, of thinking about my particular favorites and the people who've already written for us in the in the past. And I wanted to bring this up because we're talking about diversity and, and, and bringing in more voices and cultures. And I, I wanted to point out, that at least from my perspective, it's not just diversity for its own sake. And just as an example, Lewis wrote that reading old books instead of exclusively reading new books exposes us to different voices and different insights that are absent in our age. Do you feel that getting authors from various cultures and ethnicities can play a similar role? Yes. So... You're, you're giving a, a voice to the past, aren't you, when you read, you know, a commentary by Calvin. Um, but you're giving voice to the breadth of the church when you deliberately read people who are outside your own context. And, you know, if I'm preaching, I will deliberately go and read at least Calvin and Matthew Henry just because they're going to they're gonna emphasize different things because they're writing in a different context and that they will see things and bring things out from passage that I haven't seen and they will not think particularly important something that I was going to major on. And that's just really useful for for sort of challenging your own, you know, where you're at. But but again, you know, I'm, I'm editing a book at the moment. It's on um, having a, an evangelistic culture in the local church and, and building that. It's a book for church leaders, and um, it's by Doug Logan um, and Jeff Meadows. Um, so Jeff, very Texan uh, by background, but but Doug, you know, he's worked in urban environments all his life, and I've learned a whole heap from just reading the things that he wants to say, the things that he wants to major on, and the ways that he wants to put it. Because he's a black guy, he's as I say, pastored in urban environments. I'm a, I'm a white middle class 
college guy uh, who hasn't done that. And and so I think if you can find those voices, it's just interesting for seeing, yeah, what are the emphasis they are drawing out? What are the things that they feel their people need to hear? What might it be actually that the people in my church need to understand or hear or get their heads around or be challenged by? You can, you, yeah. So again, I think it's it's a case of seeking out those voices, but then making sure you're not just doing it just for the sake of thinking, yeah, I read a, I read somebody from an urban environment or I read somebody from Africa or whatever that genuinely can, can teach you. Yeah. Uh, we highlight this book all the time, but Alicia Akins wrote a book called uh, the gift of the outsider in which she, she talks about uh, how majority culture folks often view their engagement with minorities, community minority communities as one sided. We are, we are there to bless mm-hmm. and to resource and to give uh, and we're not there to learn. And that is very much to our detriment because we have so much to learn from Christians in other contexts. Yeah, absolutely. I was struck. Um, we were at a conference over here in the UK uh, in April, my wife and I, and they were talking to a diaspora uh, Ethiopian guy. So he, he he pastors a big Ethiopian church, or ma- mainly Ethiopian church in, in London. And, and he just made the point that actually one of the things he finds is that he he feels like the majority culture are expecting him to learn from them. And he very humbly said, you know, remember that maybe you might have something to learn from us. And I was just really challenged by that because I'd just not been thinking about his experience and his church in that in that way. Yeah, so that was just a, a real reminder. Another one was a few years ago now, um, we worked with uh, Christiane Wabili on um, uh, a, a, a book looking at Psalm 119, but it was all written by women um, from a variety of minority backgrounds, so lots of Hispanics, lots of Black women, um, some Asian Americans as well, and um, I think as Danielle Anderson just just pointed out in hers that when she reads the Declaration of Independence, it was very much not for her. Um, she's not male, and and she's not white, and you know I just never thought of that. I'm a white male British guy. Um, so while the Declaration of Independence was not for me either, Austin, um, but <laughs> well, you know, in a way. In a, but there's, yeah, in a way, okay. Um, but, you know, I just, <laughs> just reading that made me think, yeah, you must, obvious thing to say, isn't it? And to my shame, I never thought of it, but her view of American history was very different than the majority view of American history. And, um, and, and that's a good thing to, to realize and to recognize. Amen. And I'm so grateful for saints who are humble and bold enough to point that out because we have, mm. we all have blind spots and it's yeah. a scary thing to point out someone else's blind spot. Um, and I just think of how much poorer my own experience would be if not for saints who are willing to do that. Yeah. Amen. Well, brother, thank you for your good work. Please keep it up. We will link to, uh, your website and many of these resources, uh, in our show notes. I mean, it's, all the titles you're mentioning are ones that are in circulation in our home. My daughter's two favorite books are The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross, and God's Very Good Idea. So I, I, I'm in those books weekly, and I just really appreciate your work and all that Good Book Company is doing. Oh, well, thanks, Austin. It's uh, been a genuine privilege to get to join this particular uh, podcast. And um, yeah, likewise, thank you for the work that you, you and Isaac and the rest of the guys are doing. We, um, we appreciate your voice. We appreciate your heart. And, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for that. Uh, would you join me in, uh, in prayer as we close just for the state of Christian publishing and for Christians all over the world? 
Mm, I'd love to. Yeah, thank you. I can open and uh, if you don't mind closing us. Mm, sure. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to do this. Thank you for the Good Book Company, for the good work Carl and others there are doing. We pray that you bless them. We pray that you continue to uh, bring them authors and projects that are worthwhile, that build up the saints. Pray that you give the team wisdom in what they work on and how they do it. Uh, we thank you for, for clearly so many brilliant minds already at work. We just pray uh, for readers as well who will get these books. Um, you know, it, it's not just about publishing. It's about building up the body of Christ. And so we, we pray toward that end that these and other good resources um, would continue to encourage and edify and sanctify your people that uh, we would think in categories we may not have had and that we would um, just pursue greater unity and greater obedience uh, to you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Father, we praise you that around your throne are those from every tribe and every tongue. And we praise you that one day, um, by grace through faith, we will we will join them, and we look forward to that day when um, when we are uh, fully able to um, to worship together without the hindrance of sin or our own frailties. When we are fully able to uh, worship together in perfect unity, and we long for that day, and we look for that day, and we pray that our day more and more would come to reflect that future day. We thank you for uh, the work of United, we pray. I thank you for these guys, Father, and pray that you would um, prosper the, the conversations that they're having and seeking to prompt the rest of us to, to have and to think through. Um, Father, we know that uh, all of us have our blind spots, as we've been saying. Please, by your Spirit, would you, uh, would you show us what those are? Would you show us where we need to listen and to change, whichever background, whichever culture, whichever experience we're from. We have much to learn um, from saints who have walked a similar path to us, but so much to learn from saints who have walked a very different one. And so please make us humble. Please make us ready to listen and to learn so that your body may be brought to more and more maturity and more and more unity and more and more joy in Christ together. And so we pray that you would be about that work uh, through our ministries not for our sake, but for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and the good of his people. Amen. Amen. Well, Carl, thank you so much for coming on with us. And friends, thank you so much for listening. Look in our show notes for more resources from the Good Book Company and grace and peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of United We Pray. You can find more information about our work at youwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com. United We Pray is a donor-supported ministry, and if you are interested in supporting our work, you can find out more information on the website.